fighting on the front lines. Very scary place to be, right? If you're in battle, the front line war is a war when there's a, there is a line, intentional or unintentional, a boundary line between opposing sides from the front line that is an area where each side's forces are engaged in conflict. A place where opposing armies face off when fighting happens. Have you ever felt like you're in the front line battle? If you were to ask people in the Army, the Navy, people who are on the front lines, what does it feel like? Scary? Tragic? Frightening? Overwhelming? Your heart pounding? Tunnel vision? You feel anger? You feel love? Grief? Guilt? Shame? Fear? Hatred? Joy? And jealousy? If you were to ask the armed forces, what do they feel on the front lines? Anger? Love? Grief? Guilt? Shame? Fear? Hatred? Joy? And jealousy? That is one of the craziest, probably scariest places to be in the whole entire world, to be on that front line. And how many for years, for years, this goes back forever, we have been, there's been armies and men and women who have faced off on the front line. And so if we were to think about our spiritual life and just our life in general, how many of us feel like there are days where we feel like we're on the front line? that everywhere we go, that everything that we do, it's a battle. Everything, every place that we visit, everything that we go through, it seems like it's a battle. It seems like something is hard. It seems like there is struggle. We've been in this theme called fight the good fight. Turn to your neighbor and say, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight, fight the good fight, fight the good fight. Punch them on if you want to, that's fine too. Fight the good fight, keep it up. And so this morning, as we end our theme, Fight the Good Fight, we're going to finish with fighting to get through the front line, fighting to get through the front line. And I think there's no better person, as we highlight this morning, the person, the man, Jesus, who while he was here on this planet, fought harder, fought harder than any of us. Jesus, who did crazy, amazing, beautiful, wonderful things. Jesus Christ, who fought spiritually. Because this morning, we're not at the movie theaters. doesn't open yet, right? We're not at the beach. It is open, which is a good time to get there. We are not having breakfast. We're at church, and we have the opportunity to talk spiritual things this morning. And so as we're talking spiritual things this morning, we look at the man, Jesus, who fought harder than any one of us on the front lines. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Matthew 8, verse 1. It says, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, can you heal me and make me clean? Jesus reached out and he touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared. And Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Jesus, now we know God was flowing through his veins. This is Jesus. This is a man Jesus ran into that he was shunned. He was pushed out of the city. He was not welcomed around other people. This was a man who had leprosy. His skin, it was grotesque. It was fading. It was crumbling. Limbs falling off. He was not welcomed in any public place because of his leprosy. Jesus, what does he do? He reaches out and he touches him. And he says, be healed. 
Jesus battled the front lines. Jesus touched people and got close to people, and he did things that no one else would do. How many of us the past four or five years during COVID were told you have to stay away from people? No breathing, no inhaling, watch where you go. And there are still people today who are abiding by all those rules. If Jesus was here, would he have wore a mask? Probably not. If Jesus was here, would he be walking through the crowds afraid of a little disease we called COVID? Probably not. Jesus is powerful. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, yesterday, today, and forever, if he was powerful then, would he be powerful today? Absolutely. Jesus had no fear to get close to people that nobody else wanted to be around. Sick, a disease, he had leprosy, but his life was changed. Mark 2.13, Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds who were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind, of kind among Jesus' followers. And here's Jesus, the Son of God. Who did he ask to be his closest friends, his closest people? Fishermen and tax collectors. Men that people hated. People, because let's be honest this morning, there's a lot of people we don't like, and the IRS is on the top of the list, right? Just the same back then, the people who collected money, because you know what, back then, they didn't just collect what they were supposed to, they charged you more money so that they could profit off you and put a little money in their pockets. These were men that were hated. And so Jesus, as he's walking by the lakeshore, he's teaching the people, he sees a tax collector, and he says, come follow me. And so this picture we're painting this morning is Jesus who fought harder than anybody, fighting the good fight. If we're going to learn to fight the good fight, if we're going to learn how, why, where, when, we must look at the greatest fighter of all times, which is Jesus. Jesus was not afraid of people. Jesus invited people to be close to him that nobody wanted to be around. Mark 7, 2, sorry, Mark 2, verse 16. When the Pharisees, teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors, other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? He didn't only invite them to be close. He dined with them. How many of us in here this morning, we dine with those that we love? We eat. We break bread with family. Friends sometimes. But those that we eat the most with, those that we share the food most with, are those that we love. Who is Jesus being ridiculed for? Who did he eat with? He ate with people that was called scum. Mark 7, 31. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, spitting on his fingers... 
He then touched the man's tongue. Ugh, gross. There's only one person I want to touch spit from, and that's my wife. Right? That's it. And I can't imagine for the man in this story, I can't imagine the man in this story. It says he's deaf and he can't talk. And so Jesus puts his fingers into his ears. Sometimes, how many of us would like to pick how the miracle happens? We can be picky people, let's be honest. When we go out to eat, we can be picky. We can boss the chef and the server around, and this is what I want, this is how I want it, this, da, 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 da. But when it comes to the things of God, who's in charge, us or him? Is it his timing or our timing? Is it his way or is it our way? And so this man in the story, how many of us, if we were going to get healed, we would say, Jesus, I saw you heal that person. You just said it and it happened. How come you got to spit and do this and put your finger in my ear? Like, come on, right? He's probably thinking to himself, I get the weird miracle, right? I get the weird miracle, right? I, this is weird. But for this man who was deaf, this man who could not speak, Jesus, yes, did spit. Yes, he did touch his tongue. Yes, he did put his fingers in his ears. But you know what happened? The man was instantly healed. When's the last time you were willing to be different, to do something for somebody, to go above and beyond, to change their life forever? Jesus didn't just pray for people. He did. Jesus did sometimes just speak. Boom, miracle happened. But there are times that he got down and he got dirty and he made sacrifices and he went above and beyond to change a life. When's the last time we went above and beyond to change somebody's life, to see their life change radically? And so, again, we see Jesus hanging around with people who are sick. We see Jesus hanging around with people nobody wanted to be with. Jesus dined with who they called scum. Jesus who healed lepers. Jesus who healed this man here in a radical way. And then John 1.3, we see Jesus making a special, special um, drop-in to a party with Nicodemus. Says, There's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus at night went to go see somebody. This is the only time that this man wanted to see Jesus. He didn't want to see him in the daytime. So Jesus met the man where he wanted to be met. Sometimes we can be so demanding. It's our way. It's me, my feelings, my way, my thoughts. And Jesus, through all these verses we're saying, what did he do time and time again? He went above and beyond. He met people where they were. John 4 or 5 says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. And here's a story I just read, Nicodemus, that he went to go visit at night. 
because he wanted to help this man. He wanted to speak to this man. He wanted to be there for that man. He wanted to be a friend. He wanted to give him the truth. And even though the man wanted to come at night, even though the man was afraid to be seen, Jesus still met him where he wanted to be seen. In here, the verses that I just read in John 4, 5 through 8, Jesus met a woman, a woman, again, that nobody would talk to. If you're a Jewish man, you do not talk with women. You do not talk to women who are just walking around and cruising around in the midday. Jesus often found himself putting his pride, putting his reputation on the line so that he can just help one more person. I'll put my pride on the line and you can make fun of me, you can bash me. I'm going to make a sacrifice, and I don't care what people are going to talk about me, what they're going to say, because I'm going to help one more person. John 8, 6. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down. He wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again, and he said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle with the crowd and with the woman. And Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. We're so quick to throw the first rock. We're so quick to be judgmental. We're so quick to complain. We're so quick to open up our mouths. We are so good at that. How many of us, let's be honest. We are good at this. We are good at that as people. We are. That's what we do. When there is something we don't like, we raise our hand and we start blah, 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 complaining and judging. Jesus, in this situation, in this story, there is a woman that everybody wanted to kill. There is a woman who was caught doing something that she shouldn't have been doing. And so they brought her before Jesus, not to really get justice, but they brought her <coughs> to trap Jesus. To trap Jesus. They did not care. They wanted to prove a point by killing somebody else. That's what religious people do sometimes. They did not care who they hurt. They did not care that this woman and this guy that was caught in doing something they shouldn't have been doing, they didn't really care if they were going to kill her on the spot. All they cared about was making a point and trying to trap Jesus so that they could arrest him. And it's sad. In our nature, in our human nature, we do this every single day. Sometimes we try to trap people. We try to manipulate people. We try to control people, just like the religious. It's funny because as Christians, we as Christians, we go, oh, we hate those religious people, but we don't see the religion inside of us. There's so many of us that sometimes we can be religious. We can be harsh and controlling and demanding. We see the religion in everybody else, but never in ourselves. Jesus, in this story... He stood up for a woman that everybody wanted to kill. He stood up for someone who was at the bottom, the very bottom of life, down on the ground, in the dirt. Nobody liked, nobody wanted to be around. No one would defend, no one would stand up for. And Jesus, thrown into this situation, Jesus standing up for those that nobody wanted to stand for. Jesus may be stepping into the line to say, you know what? And we know that he did with the cross. You can kill me instead of, the, instead of this young lady. What I'm about to do when I go to the cross is I'm going to put my life on the line 
and I will sacrifice my life so I can defend you. So that I can defend you. Jesus is truly amazing. My last story this morning, before we kind of pull it all together. Luke 23, verse 33. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Is this really God's Messiah, the chosen one? The soldiers mocked him, offering him a drink of sour wine. They call out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. In our last few verses here. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crime. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know what's amazing to me is Jesus is dying on the cross. One of the first things it says here is Jesus says to them, Father, forgive them for they know what, not, what they're doing. He's still being forgiven when he's in absolute pain, the most intense pain. He is crucified. His two legs have been crucified, nailed into a beam. His one side over here, the wrist over here, nailed into the beam. He is having a hard time breathing. He is gasping for air. And what is he doing? God forgive them? Because they don't know what they're doing. God forgive them? We get a stubbed toe. What do we want to do? We want to blast your head off. We get in any kind of tragedy, anything that is horrible, horrific, and we are so easily to just start blasting. And here Jesus dying on the front lines. What is he doing? He's still saying, God, forgive them. God, forgive them. God, forgive them. They were making fun of him. Oh, you're the Messiah, are you? Jump off. Let's see your power now, buddy. So religious, so rude. Constantly trying to put them down. <clears throat> How many of us know people, they don't realize it sometimes, they're constantly putting people down. And the religious people here, while Jesus is dying on the cross, what are they doing? Oh, are you really the Messiah? Oh, see, I thought you were powerful. Ah, oh, I thought you were the Savior. Why don't you save yourself? Mocking laughing, going after him. How does Jesus respond? Father, forgive them. How many of us have been stabbed in the back? How many of us we feel like betrayed? Jesus was betrayed every single day. And what he continued to do? Fight on the front lines. Continually giving every single thing that he had, even up to the point of his physical death. He's having a conversation with a criminal. And these two criminals, there's two of them. One of them saying, he joined in with the religious. 
Yeah, who are you? If you're really who you're supposed to be, jump off. Let's see this power. And the other criminal shuts him up and says, listen, don't you fear God? We're about to die, and we deserve it. But this guy doesn't deserve it. And he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me in paradise. Remember me. That's all he had to say. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. This man finds eternal life on his, on his deathbed. This man who's hanging on a cross, one died and went to hell, while the other one died and went to heaven, went to paradise, because his mind flipped. He finally, as he's paying for all the wrong that he did in his life, he's hanging on a cross, and he starts to understand right and wrong. And I've done wrong all my life, but I'm going to do right in this moment right now. He says, I'm not on your side anymore. I'm on his side. I'm on God's side. Jesus, remember me. Jesus lived on the front lines. We know that Jesus lived 33, 34 years we know that Jesus spent some of those years, we have no idea. We know that it says he could have been a woodworker, a carpenter, he could have built tables, he could have built cabinets. We don't know, but we know he, he did have a job, a J-O-B. And so there was many years that, that are unrecorded and not talked about. But when he got to be 2930, he started a public ministry. And from that moment on, we know that Jesus radically served on the front lines. He lived on the front lines. And I showed that, that video this morning because <clears throat> many of us, we watch movies all the time, a lot of people, right? We, we used to go to the movie theater, but now we can bootleg and we can watch it on our own TV, right? Not, not us, but we know other people steal and bootleg stuff off the TV, right? We know that you can, you can watch whatever movie. You can have demand and you can go back so you don't have to cape those DVDs anymore. You can watch old movies for free. It's amazing, right? And how many of us during in, in life have seen, you know, probably a thousand different movies? We don't have to raise our hands. We've watched horror movies. We've watched comedy. We've watched love stories. Ah, so lovey, right? We've watched movies. And we've watched Christian films, right? Some of us, we've watched Christian films as well. We've watched those things. We live those things. And so this morning I showed you a video and you saw that. And of course it's Hollywood. But I can tell you that's what it's like to be on the front lines. There are people whose heads are being blown into. There are people that the minute they step onto that front line, they're being shot and killed. There are men that when they come back from war, many of them are suicidal and want to kill themselves because they can't handle the things that they saw, nor can they handle the things that they had to do. The front lines is a gory, horrific kind of place. And so this morning I have some good news. As they serve the front lines to protect our freedom, God has called us as Christians to spiritually serve on the front lines. And, and if we're honest, there are days when we feel like that, that we're getting our head shot in, that someone's punching us in the face, that we're in this invisible fight and we can't see where it's coming from, but we feel that we're hit and we're attacked. And so we feel the spiritual attacks. We feel things that are happening all around us. And if we're going to make it through 
the front line, if we're going to be victorious, then we have to look at the person who is victory. It is him. It's everything that runs through his blood. Jesus is victory. Jesus conquered life and death. Jesus died, but he rose again on the third day. Jesus served the front lines, and he did so without fear. Jesus served on the front lines without being afraid. Jesus, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get a good glimpse of who Jesus is in those four Gospels. We get a very good, clear glimpse of who Jesus is. And so the stories we read through this morning, they were to paint a picture in our brain of what our God did, what he did for them, but what he does for us. We look at those stories because we see Jesus being the example and who he is. When God came to this earth, what did he do? When God was here on this planet, what did he do? How did he live? If Jesus was here today, I wonder what he would look like. You know, somehow, somewhere along the way, if I was honest to you, I think churches and I think pastors have turned churches into glee clubs. Because as I read the Bible, Jesus was radical. Jesus was radical. Everywhere that he went, everything that he did, he was so radical. He was hated by religious people, but he was loved by sinners. Jesus was hated by the religious people in the day. And so this morning, I wonder if Jesus was to walk this earth again, who would be on his side and who would be like, this man's crazy. Where were the places that Jesus would hang out today? Who would be the people that Jesus would be hanging out with and dining with today? You know, as Christians and as churches and pastors, I think that, and, and I say this without being hopefully offensive at all, because how many of us, we like good productions, we like theater, and we like this, we like that, and yes, we like good worship, but it's really become a big show for too many places. It is. It's become a good big show. Because if you go to Nonsbury Farm, you pay in, you get your ticket, and there's some of us here, if we went to Knott's Berry Farm or Disneyland, we would buy the ticket and we'd go and watch a show. You paid to get in, you paid to watch a show. Fortunately, pastors have adopted that as well. well hopefully, we're going to give you a good show and you put a little money in the bucket. And then hopefully you come back again next Sunday. That's not the life of Christianity that, that God made for us. This is not. If we read the Bible from beginning to end... Jesus was radical, and he lived a radical life on the front lines. He served. He gave. He sacrificed, and he gave everything that he had. And it wasn't about music, and it wasn't about productions, and it wasn't about a show. It wasn't about feeling comfortable. It wasn't about making every single person happy because it was only about preaching the gospel and the truth. Jesus, if we ask ourselves this morning, do we live to play it safe or are we living to fight the good fight? Do we live to play it safe? I want to be honest, all of us in here at times, we live to play it safe. I wonder how many people behind the scenes 
You know, I don't know if when you were a kid, if you used to like puppet shows. And I wonder how many of us in the last five years feel like maybe life has been played like I'm a puppet. And how many of us as believers and Christians, we have stood by, we have watched so many horrible things happen and chose, ah, you know what? I'm just going to play it safe. I'm just going to play it safe. If God were here today, if God was here when COVID started, what would Jesus do during COVID? What would Jesus do during COVID? What would Jesus do with the homeless that are in our, in our valley? If we were just to look at our valley and our community, where would Jesus be? What would he do and what would he say to the homeless people that are in this community? What would Jesus say and do to the people who sexually are so confused today? What would Jesus say to the lonely, to the downtrodden? What would Jesus say to those who are depressed? He didn't live for himself. He lived for us. Does God understand that we must work? Absolutely. But what are we doing while we work? Physically, we use our hands and our brains when we work. Some of us, not all of us. We try. But spiritually, no matter where you go, whether it's home, work, God's called you to be the light of the world, to serve on the front lines, to be someone, to be the witness, to be someone who points someone in the right direction, to serve on the front lines. So we could play it safe, or we can fight hard to our very, very end. If we were to ask ourselves, what are the things that God wants of me? Do you think God wants us to store up on this earth as many things as possible so that when we die, people can fight over them? But yet, how many believers, right? That's the goal. I got to store up as much money as I can to pass on to people who are going to fight over it. Or does Jesus want us to change as many people that we live and see and come across every single day? God's put us here to make a difference. John 10.10 10 says, I've come to give a full life. And you know, many people take that verse thinking of prosperity and blessing. When Jesus said full life, check, 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 I'm good. He wants me to be full. He wants me to be wealthy. He wants me to be rich. Uh, but what if Jesus meant a full life is serving, sacrificing, going above and beyond for people? And has nothing to do with money at all. What if Jesus said, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life, fully abundant, giving everything that we have for people every single day, serving on the front lines. Even if we get hit, even if we get stabbed in the back, no matter what happens to us, to keep fighting every single day, the good fight to help one more person. Would we rather be... Would we rather church be a show or would we rather be on the front lines? So as we start to wrap up this morning, I got a couple more closing verses. 
And I think if you understand Jesus and you understand the Gospels, you start to understand his words. The more that you read his words, the more that you understand his stories, the more that you read his parables, the more that you go back through and start reading certain scriptures, they become more clear. And so Jesus says some things that are very harsh. Mark, Mark 8, verse 33, he says, he turned around, he looked at his disciples. He reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan. He called one of his disciples Satan. He says, get away from me, Satan. Now, was he calling Peter really Satan or the words that Peter was speaking Satan? Peter came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, Jesus was just telling everybody, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die on a cross, and three days later I'm going to be raised alive. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and he starts rebuking him, saying, no, 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 this can't be happening to you. You can't do this, you can't do that. We don't want to see anything bad happen to you. And so Peter is standing there, and he, think he's doing, he thinks he's doing something good, and Jesus pulls him aside and he says, get away from me, Satan, because you're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And if we were honest this morning, how many of us live our life from that human point of view? If we were honest this morning, how many of us, when we wake up, from the moment that I wake up to the, to the time I lay my head down, how many of us spend more time thinking from a human point of view and not from his point of view? And so our words, and so our actions, the distractions, all slowing us down from what he's put us here to do. We have a valley of lost people, hurting people. Some of us, we would consider them like lepers, full of diseases. They're gross, they're grotesque, they stink, they smell. There are people who bother us. We just look at them and we just start, Argh. I don't want to get close to those people. And then taking a step back and saying, if Jesus Christ was here today, that's where he'd be. He'd be with the people that I don't want to be around. And I wonder how many of us would have to change the way that we live if Jesus was here. Because what would he be doing? He says to Peter, you're seeing things from a human point of view and not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. You know, as a kid, I had the privilege and opportunity to go to church many times. As a kid, I can remember going to this thing called Power Team, and I don't know if any of you ever heard of the Power Team, but they were these guys that muscles and biceps were as big and as wide as my head. They were buff men, and they would rip phone books in half. That, I don't know if you know what a phone book is. It's this thing that used to have everybody's phone number in it on a piece of paper, right? And these men would rip them in half. But after they would do all these things, and they would break bricks with their heads, and they would bend bars and rip phone books, they would give imitations, and they say, now who here wants to know Jesus? And I can remember as a kid, I probably gave my life to Jesus a hundred times. 
I remember going to a show, Carmen, there used to be this guy named Carmen. And Carmen, if you want to talk about productions, this, this guy, this dude, man, he put on crazy productions. You can Google the boxer or the champion. And, and so he put on these massive productions, you know, fighting, and it was Jesus against the devil. And he played so many different things. And I can remember going to one of his shows, and man, I was touched. I was like, I felt the presence of God in this place, and it was crazy. And I gave my life to God there. And so as a kid, I gave my life to God everywhere, right? Anywhere my parents maybe dragged me, any church service sometimes, and I felt bad, I would raise my hand and I'd ask God into my heart. Because I didn't understand. I asked God into my heart so many times because I didn't understand. And then when I was 19, this verse started to make sense. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your own cross, follow me. If you hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And at 19, something finally clicked. God doesn't want a little prayer. God doesn't want a little altar call with people raising their hands. He's looking for followers. He's looking for followers. People who are willing to follow him on the front line and do the same things that he did when he was here. If God left heaven came to this earth, born of a virgin, Mary. If he lived a life, if this was God himself in the flesh, were the things that he said and the things that he did important? Absolutely. If he said, come and follow after me, was he just saying it? Or is that what he was asking, if you want to find? And so at 19, when I fully started to understand what the scripture meant, I asked him into my heart a hundred times, but I wasn't following. I never chose to follow. It was still John's life. It was still John's way. It was still, I'm going to get up and I want to do what John wants to do the next day. And then when I realized God wasn't asking for a prayer, he was asking for my life when I fully gave everything that I had. Oh, man. What I felt in that moment, it's the most powerful thing I've ever felt in my life. And many people, they think, man, if I become a Christian, that means I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. When I was a kid, me and my best friend Brian at the time, all we talked about was traveling. All we wanted to do as kids, we got to travel, travel, travel. We're going to buy backpacks and we're going to travel Europe. We're going to go here and go there. Well, we both got saved. We did buy backpacks, but we did go to the mission field. And so I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii because if you're going to be a missionary, you got to go to paradise before you go to hell, right? And so I went to Hawaii first before I went on the mission field. And that's where I met my beautiful wife, Kim, in Hawaii and at a missionary school called YWAM. And then from there, I went to the Philippines and Malaysia, Indonesia, and had the opportunity to go back to the Philippines again. But when I was sitting there, and all I wanted to do as a kid was to just to travel. I got to travel, travel, travel. And I had this opportunity to travel. And it was crazy, and it was amazing. But as I was praying, I was like, God, you know, all I wanted to do all my life was travel. Is this what you want me to do the rest of my life? And God spoke to me and said, nope. You've kind of seen a little bit of the world. Now it's time to go back home and be the missionary to Hemet. And it's amazing. 
it's amazing. Sometimes we get so many things stuck in our head. Oh, I got to go here. If I'm going to be a Christian, I got to be a dork, and I got to walk and quack and do these things and look so stupid and foolish. When Jesus says, man, your head's wrapped around all the wrong things because you still haven't given everything. Is it still our life, my life? And so he says to Peter, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your whole soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous, sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so you see there are times where Jesus, he said things, and all of us would clap. We'd be there clapping. Yeah, Jesus, team Jesus, team Jesus. And then he says something like this. And he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, give me 100 billion percent, stop living for you, and I want you to live for me. And how many people? The clapping team Jesus went, ooh, ah, okay, bye Jesus. Nice knowing you. Start walking away. And I wonder this morning, regardless how we live this life, safe, or realizing, yeah, we're on the front lines. <clears throat> I wonder this morning how many of us are afraid and holding back with God this morning. I wonder how, how many of us, because life can become so fearful. At different ages and different stages, we get afraid of different things. But how many of us are bound by fear? And I wonder this morning how many of us... You know, because COVID, it did honestly change the world. And so how many of us, we just think different of COVID? And once again, afraid, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's the next big thing? There are so many people, that's all they talk about, the next big thing. There are so many distractions. There are pastors, there are churches, there are programs, they're building, they're making all these distractions. And you know what we're neglecting? The front lines. Jesus fought through the front lines. Jesus served on the front line with sick people, with demonic people, with tax collectors, scum of the earth, with prostitutes. Jesus served, sacrificed, and gave every day on the front lines. No matter what people thought, no matter what people said about him, he fought until the end. And so we started our theme, Fight the Good Fight. And if you and I were going to get in a boxing match, not with each other, let's say we're going to go beat up somebody else. If somebody came, ran in here and stole one of these chairs and like took off, would it be a good fight if we ran after them because they stole a chair? If someone came in and Sam had a submarine sandwich and they took his sandwich and ran, sure, we'd feel bad for the old guy, right? We'd feel bad, but you know what? Maybe they needed that sandwich worse than Sam needed that sandwich. If someone came in and there was $5 sitting in the back and they said, I'm grabbing this because I need it, I desperately need it, would we go after them and beat them up because they stole five bucks? Some of us would. But maybe they needed that five bucks worse than I needed that five bucks. Jesus, as we close, he says to Peter, and he had to say this, Get away, Satan. 
because you keep seeing things from your point of view and not his point of view. We're battling this morning on the front lines. Life is now. Life is now. And yes, it's going to be different in 20 years. Yes, it's going to be different in 10 years. Yes, it'll be different in five years. We can get stuck on the future. We can get stuck on the past. But God wants us to live dying for the moment we live. On the front line, serving, sacrificing, giving everything that we have for the community of people that he has put us around. So that the lost get saved. So that the demonic people who are possessed get freed. So that the lonely, depressed, those who are sick get healed. God has put us here to live without fear, to pray for people, to put our hands on people, whatever he asks us to do in the situation in the moment, to stand up, to serve on the front lines. He's only given us one life to live. Fight the good fight. Fight through the front lines. Let's pray.